Welcome to the Reticle Up Podcast, where I, Three Gun Kenzie, will be interviewing competitive shooters, hunters, fishermen, archers, entrepreneurs, and outdoorsmen. Come learn with me as I interview people from all walks of life, in different disciplines, all across the world, from novices to professionals of all ages. No matter what, everyone has something they can teach you. So come join me on the journey. Welcome back to the Red Club Podcast, everyone. I am here with Brennan Decker. Uh, you might have heard the last episode I did with his brother, Trace Decker. So now we have the other half. So uh, Brennan, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So you're the younger brother, correct? Yes. Okay. I'm kicking this off, actually. Um, who's more competitive, you or him? Hmm. <laughs> Mm. really it's hard. a toss-up I, I i would almost say him mm-hmm. if i had a guess okay yeah i like it so um yeah when did you start competitive shooting i actually don't know like did y'all start together at the same time or is it something one of you guys got into or what happened uh we both actually started at the same time it was in 2017 so i was 15 at the time i'd say he was 20 or 21 um we started out shooting just outlaw matches that some of our friends had put together and then eventually we started shooting uspsa cool so he never got the junior years you did correct yeah i uh i actually got to shoot in uh a couple major matches as junior but i don't think he ever got that privilege (laughs) that's cool though um yeah, this, that's a totally different experience. I never started that young either. So um, actually, I'm curious about that. What was it like being a junior shooter? Is it any different from being an adult? I mean, like maybe paying for your own stuff? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't see much difference in it because I never even paid attention to category performance yeah. because uh, I shot Battle in the Bluegrass as a junior and I think there was like maybe two or three junior shooters in the entire match so winning high junior at a match where there's three junior shooters is not really saying much yeah i can i can see that um okay so then you only did uspsa then have you shot any other sports i've shot a couple of two gun matches uh run gun matches and other than that it was just three position air rifle in high school that's all i ever done what Okay, go back. Okay, three position air rifle. Was that on a high school team? Like, did you guys have that as part of your your high school? Uh, we had a JROTC program that had a rifle team, and I'd done the rifle team from my freshman year to my senior year. What? Did you have to qualify for that? Yes. Yeah, there was qualifications for that. It was very interesting to watch. Brennan, tell uh, me about it. I want to hear. I've I've never actually heard anybody about doing this, so... Tell me more. So basically what they'll do is they'll take whoever's interested in joining the air rifle team and bring everyone out for an afternoon uh, to see basically who can shoot and who doesn't need to be there. Uh, and, <laughs> well, there's there's slots on the air rifle team. So it's like if you have a handful of really good shooters, you're going to keep them and then just push the rest of them to the side. Sure. Uh, so they would start off just benching the rifle and shooting three rounds to see 
if you could even hold a grouping to begin with. And you'd be amazed at how many people could not keep a grouping. Like it was horrible. Oh, no, I wouldn't be surprised, honestly. But yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah, so that's, they do that and then they start off with standing position. So see who can shoot standing and then they'll go through prone and kneeling just to get an idea of what they're working with. And uh, my first year that I died, there were several that after the very first day of doing it, they just didn't come back. So it weeded them out really quick. Sure. Now, air rifle, that's the sanctioned, like, you're wearing that vest thingy and you're learning how to hold the gun, right? Uh, so the level that we were doing that, no, like it was literally just, we had a fancy little glove to go on our left hand and that was it. It was, okay. we were shooting, a, there was a Crossman PCP Challenger air rifle. So it was like $600 air rifle and minimum equipment. That's pretty much all it was. Uh, we didn't get into all the vests and all that fancy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you do individually and how'd you do on like the team? Uh, I did all right on the individual side and we did all right as a team. It was, uh, interesting experience uh, I guess I could put it that way we didn't get to do a whole lot of training just because our program was more invested in other things mm -hmm. so the air rifle side didn't practice a whole lot um, I honestly can't remember like where I placed on individual uh <laughs> competitions at all like I just didn't pay much attention I was just there to shoot yeah um but in comparison to some of the people I knew that were shooting at other schools oh no no I was pretty far behind them yeah it was I was not too great at it but you were uh, having fun it sounds like you weren't really focused on sports you were out there to enjoy it somewhat but I was still pretty competitive because um so from the very first day of shooting air rifle they tell you that you know there's some classifications or whatever you want to call it so you got like marksman sharpshooter and expert and there's different scores you have to shoot to get each of those mm -hmm. so immediately right out of the gate i want to get the expert badge just right. like whenever you start shooting uspsa you're like i want to be a grandmaster it's the same thing with air rifle so you see it and you're like that's what i want <laughs> so that it immediately sets the goal and um I don't know how long it took me, but by my freshman year, I had the expert badge. Wow. And so from there, it was just maintaining that. It's like I never really set another goal after that, um, which was probably a bad thing. Yeah. Looking back, back at now, everything I've learned with USPSA shooting, I mean, it all translates over. Uh, <laughs> like I sit back and think about it occasionally. I'm like, you know, that was visual patience was important even with air rifle but i never you know put a label to it or paid any attention to it it's just like okay well if that shot looks okay press the trigger hope for the best now looking back there was a lot of things that could have been done differently but um interesting yeah it was it was fun it was fun but never got extremely competitive with it
Yeah. Now, when you were growing up, I guess before that too, like, had you shot firearms before? Had you like gone hunting or was that really like the first experience with any type of gun? Uh, no, before that I had, uh, I really liked to just shoot a single shot cricket 22. Like I would simply go out and shoot rocks, uh, play <laughs> pigeons, anything I could find that I could shoot with a 22 rifle. I you could destroy. Just yeah. enjoyed shooting pretty much. <laughs> That's all it was. I would just find something I could shoot, whether it was little Coke cans, water bottles, it didn't matter. I just wanted to shoot something. <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome okay so then diving into usbsa like did you always start out in your lovely production division no 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 no. uh i started out just shooting limited minor i think that's where pretty much everyone starts out at um i was shooting a 17l unlimited and i shot that thing i think i shot it for about a year and a half limited and uh, I never even paid attention to the classification system or even being competitive and limited until much later on. I mean, I didn't even become a member of USPSA until I'm thinking 20, late 2018 or 2019 i can't remember exactly i mean you were still young then but, too yeah and so i was never even worried about the classification system yeah uh and the only reason i ever went to a major match is uh uh battle in the bluegrass they were having their last match i guess battle in the bluegrass 10 something like that and uh Life with GX products had a junior slot for the match. I figured, well, I might as well sign up for it and, you know, see how it goes. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, same message about got the slot. And from that, I was like, you know, I guess I should maybe start shooting production mm-hmm. just to get ready for the match. So I shoot one local match in production, then go to a major match. <laughs> Excellent. Now, did you shoot the Glock 17L still? Uh, no, no, I switched. Okay. A little bit of backtracking there. I, <laughs> after I realized that limited minor was dumb, I went and got a Glock 34, slapped a Vortex Benamont, and shot carry optics for a while. Okay. Then whenever I signed up for Found the Bluegrass, I just grabbed a Glock 17 I had that still had iron sights on it and just shot it for the match. So it's 17L was a paperweight at this point. Um, like it is still sitting over in the safe, never to be touched again. Now, Glock, Glock, Glock. Have you ever owned anything else? Yes. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've had 1911s that I just too expensive to feed a 45, especially to shoot a match. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, now I'm shooting tan folios, a little yeah. bit different animal there. Um, I played with 2011s and open and limited before as well. And how good are you with a 2011? uh, Yeah. He's going to be. I can shoot a 2011 fairly well. Yeah. I can shoot a 2011 fairly well. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's cheating. (laughs) That's what I call it. It's my cheater gun and it shoots for me. And then I have to kind of perform like 10% of the rest of it. 
<laughs> yeah, for pretty much. Uh, so much fun. Shot a limited gun. Oh, a couple months ago for a classifier match, mm-hmm. and uh, I. <laughs> There's no words. How much fun you had. Uh oh. There is not. There is not. Uh, <laughs> I didn't want to do it again because I wanted a twenty. You're gonna want it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, I might end up with one, but no, there's not a like, mind. There's no mind about it. You will. It's just a matter of saving and finding the time. Correct. Correct. For now, I'd rather buy bullets and just keep shooting the tank all yeah. over. Yeah. Okay. So going back production. So <laughs> one ma- one minor match, and then go shoot a major. How did that major turn out though for you? see here i was like third in b class um nice of course i won junior division out of the three junior shooters that were there <laughs> um i don't remember how i done in the like finishing and overall or in my division i don't even remember i was think i was like 26th or 30th in production like it wasn't a great finish that's for sure yeah but that's um, how most major matches go you know people just get humbled or they figure out oh there's a lot more work to do you know yeah you realize that there's uh other really good shooters out there you're not the only one pretty much yeah so what happened next so you shoot this major match you're addicted to production you like production like what what happened from there no after that i absolutely hated production again like threw the glock 17 back in the safe and seriously yes what Yes, I did not start shooting production again until uh, March of 2020. Oh, wow. So, I mean, it was a couple almost years. Almost a year. Yeah, almost a year before I started shooting it again. What do you hate like, about production? Was it the reloading, the 10 rounds? <laughs> the 10 rounds. The 10 rounds. I, I didn't have as much fun with reloading between every position, and you go to a local match and there's always that uh, open shooter or PCC shooter that's a match director and puts like 14 or 15 round arrays in one spot and you're sitting there doing a standing mag change. I hated that. Yeah. Yep. All I shot at the time was local. So I, I wasn't worried about, uh, you know, being a big shot in production or anything like that in the local area. It was just dumb to me. Sure. Yeah. 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 Nobody ever like leaves their local circle sometimes and realizes. <laughs> You're a much smaller yeah. fish in a bigger pond. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just went straight back to carry optics and kept shooting it. Cool. So for carry optics too, like what, what classification did you start with? And like, where are you now? Uh, I started B class and I'm trying to think here. Of course, now I'm, after you make GM and production, everything else you're a master. And so yeah. I think I still have an A class percentage in carry optics though yeah yeah okay now if you had to pick one division now for the rest of your life limited carry optics production what would it be probably limited okay okay it's much more fun yeah i I do like shooting a limited gun whether it's like lock 35 24 or 2011 i do like shooting limited (laughs) awesome okay so for you and your brother like were you guys training together, shooting live fire together? Like, how do you guys, how, what is your shooting dynamic together? Uh, we don't really train together. Like, 
uh, whenever I go out to practice, I have some set drills that I do. I run through my drills and if there's something I need to work on, I work on that at the very end. Then I go back to something accuracy driven because of the bumpy things on my slide compared to his red dot. Um, and I, I don't even know what his practice sessions look like because I'm not out there. Uh, we practice completely separately. Um, same thing with dry fire. But once we go to the match, I mean, we're on, typically on the squad together. Mm-hmm. So it's just us shooting the match together. That's how it's always been, I guess you could say. Uh, so I, I feel like y'all's dynamic, though. Like, on maybe from my perspective, maybe I'm wrong. I feel like you're the calming presence out of the both of you. And I feel like Trace puts a lot of pressure on himself. Is that accurate? You would be correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that, that might be a good way to put it. So how do you guys like work together as a team, whether it's um, walking stages or even like during the match, like how do you both feed off one another, help each other? Because I do think there is value to that. Um, Cause you do do a lot for him and he does a lot for you too, I think. Uh, so we both have different ways of looking at stages. Mm-hmm. So we just kind of like bounce ideas off each other. Um, of course, me doing a reload every position, I can't take every stage plan that he does, mm-hmm. but uh, sometimes it's better to eat a standing reload or a one or two step reload and run the stage the correct way yeah. than doing it a stupid way, but having you know, a big area to do a mag change. Mm-hmm. So typically I can use some of the stage plans. Uh, occasionally I'll have a decent stage plan, but I will give the stage planning to him. He, <laughs> he does a lot more stage planning than I do. That's cool though. Um, I, I don't come up with great stage plans all the time. Occasionally I do pull them out, but uh, like area five, I, had a couple of good ideas and they worked out, but mm-hmm. it just depends on the day. Okay. Okay. So how do you guys play off each other when it's like a three-day major match? Uh, so whenever it's a three-day major match, as soon as the shooting is done, I'd, I'm no longer on the range. My mind is not there. I am off the range. I'm, there, I'm just relaxing at that point. Um, typically, he will be walking the stages for the next day already. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part, we kind of like stay out of each other's way whenever it comes to three-day major matches, which, I mean, we've only shot two together, yeah. which is Factory Gun and Carry Optics Nationals. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, occasionally I have to help him calm down a little bit whenever it comes to the stages or the match itself Um, because I'm sure you've seen Trace is very hard on himself whenever he's you know made a mistake and sometimes that leaks over into the next stage and then the stage after that, or if there's another day, it leaks over into the next day. Yeah. Um, so occasionally he needs to be reminded that's not as big of an issue as it seems. Yeah. But he's gotten better about that, thankfully. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, he can definitely perform. It's, it's the mental game at that point, really. Um, and like for you, how do you have this mental attitude of like, kind of like caring and not caring kind of like you said, like, (laughs) all right, done with the range leaving and like, turn it off. And like, I've noticed that just whatever you do, you're just like, eh. (laughs) if you can't control it, don't worry about it. Mm. How did you learn that? Who taught you that? Have you always been that way? Uh, I've learned it just, you know, over the years. I mean, that's, that's just the situation with life in general. There's certain things you can't control. So if you're worrying about it, you're just stressing for nothing. And I mean, it's the same way with shooting sports or anything you do. Yeah. Wow. And how old are you now? 21? 20. 20. Yeah. You're wise beyond your years, child. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's impressive uh did you ever take any like formal um classes for shooting or anything like that no but you guys were mentored yeah. by people though yes yeah we've had some good mentors tell me about that uh so starting out it was uh, a local guy that got us into uspsa and uh, through shooting USPSA, after he introduced us to it, uh, we eventually met Rick and Sue down the road, and uh, they helped both me and Trace out a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, you go to major matches and meet all sorts of people, and I think that you can learn something from everyone you meet, and it, you just kind of like pick things up along the way. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't use everything that someone says because everyone has their own individual shooting style or the only, their own way of approaching a match. But it, if you kind of like pick up on bits and pieces of what you're gathering from other shooters, like um, we've talked to Nils Jonas in the matches, uh, talking to Shane Coley, or, you know, it could even be watching videos of other shooters that you haven't even met and listening to what they're saying and just apply it, see if it works. If it doesn't work, throw it out the window. If it does, run with it. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do in dry fire, by the way? Like, what are, what are your drills? My dry fire, um, of course, here recently, it's just been me trying to get used to the tan folio still. But yeah. uh I hit reloads pretty hard in dry fire. Um, reloads, transition drills. I work on draw whenever I need it. Um, I have a habit of not driving any gun very aggressively or uh, doing the whole thing where I'm not moving my head mm-hmm. in front of the gun leading with my eyes i have a habit of doing that so i have to work on that and dry fire okay um that's i'll do some movement just to make sure that i'm not you know being dumb <laughs> like it, like in matches you'll see me drag reloads pretty often <laughs> and my time is always what hurts me on stages so i mean any inefficiency is pretty bad for me. 
Yeah. So if I'm dragging reloads, then I'll hit reloads on the move during dry fire, um, making sure that I'm completing the reload within the first step or two out of position. That way I can focus on getting to the next position. Yeah. It's just little things like that that I work on. I actually did learn that um, in Travis Tomasi's class. So many people try to do all of that while moving and it's longer than, like you said, one or two steps, get the reload done and then move, which I found fascinating. Um, what, it, what about like the live fire training? So like, do you take all of what you just did and do that in live fire or is that totally different? Uh, my live fire training, uh, so I'll start off with something that's, you know, based on accuracy and visual patience. Now go to timing drills, you know, build drills, any kind of transition drills, making sure I'm just actually shooting the gun properly and not being too sloppy. Um, and then towards the end of my session, I will confirm everything I've been doing at dry fire. Mm -hmm. uh, just hit some, you know, two reload two drills or, um, some much harder transition drills than I would typically see in a match. Yeah. Just things to make sure I'm doing everything properly in dry fire and not cheating myself. Yeah. For the time stuff, like um, setting part times and stuff, do you have like a record or notebook or do you keep track of the part times and where you're at if you're going down or up or anything like that? Or is that just all kind of in your head? It's mostly in my head. Uh, I probably should keep record of it, honestly. Um, I've just never stopped taking the time and wrote it down, but I should definitely start doing that. Um, it's interesting because since I've switched platforms, the par times are completely different. Yeah. Uh, for now, at least like my draw is a bit slower. Sometimes my reload slower. It's weird because on a stage I will nail nearly every reload with Tanfolio. Mm. Like I don't get it. I go to dry fire, I might miss every single one of them. It's all mental though. I feel like you perform in a match. It, it, your mental game is wild to me. Like it's it's there. And it's crazy that under pressure you don't really crack. I don't know. Uh, so whenever it comes to pressure in the middle of a match that actually seems to go back to the air rifle competitions that we would go into because sometimes my scores would be higher in that like actual competition where we're at a different school competing than they would be in practice. Huh. Huh. And it has transferred over to, you know, USPSA to some extent. Occasionally I'll catch myself being a bit too passive and that typically cost me in a match by quite a bit <laughs> okay it's when I, as long as i can recognize what i'm doing wrong and figure out a way to focus on something else or just completely relax and shoot mm -hmm. it's always one or the other if i can take my mind off of it or completely clear my mind entirely then I'll shoot well, but otherwise, oh, it might fall apart. It might be, if I'm focusing on my time, oh, the time might be there. The hits won't. Typically not. The hits will not be. I'll yeah. throw 
bunch of Charlies or a couple sprinkle a couple of mics in there somewhere. Yeah, I'm known to do that. If I if I get too ahead of myself, I'll do that. Yeah, I did at Kentucky sectional, and that was dumb. At yeah, least it was helpful them. to you, right? Like you didn't have to go too far to do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I only had to drive an hour and a half to throw a mic on a target that's you know six yards in front of me. I've done that. I've done that. I felt so stupid. Yeah, <laughs> so stupid. It's like really. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's the easy targets. Yeah, it is. Not always though, but um, do you scoop draw? So, uh, I have never really practiced the scoop draw until I start seeing the time difference between a scoop draw and a grab draw, I guess you could call it. Uh, after looking at the time difference between it, oh, I've practiced it a bit. Granted, I'm still not sure I wouldn't throw the gun in the middle of a scoop right. draw. So, right. still doing a lot of practice on that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, whenever you've got some really good shooters doing scoop draws and keeping their draw times under like a 90 or in some cases under an 80, it's like, yeah, that's pretty hard to ignore. Yeah, it is. That's impressive. Um, I know a few that do that really well. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I've seen videos of like Tyler Masonheimer. I mean, he nails those yeah. scoop draws. I mean, it is insane. Yep. Yep. Um, okay. So for USBSA, do you, have you set yourself goals? It sounds like you need to write things down. Do you have goals for this year in shooting? Uh, so my goals for the most part is just performing better than I did last year. But it were fairly simple, but of course, whenever I'm going into nationals, I would like to be in the top 10 or that would be my goal okay. is to be top 10 nationals. Um, of course, that's very dependent on match style, depends on who shows up, that sort of thing. But uh, or going into an area match like area five. Yeah. Depending on who's shooting, you know, I'd like to be in the top five. If there's a bunch of production shooters, or if there's, you know, some of the top guys, like if Sal Luna shows up to a match, I'm probably saying, okay, I'd like to be, you know, maybe no more than 10% off of Sal. Uh, um, you, could, you could take him. I'm friends with Sal. I can say that. <laughs> he doesn't have his best days always. <laughs> He's a good shooter. Yeah, I like Sal. So he's I shot shooting Florida here. Open with him. Oh yeah, Florida Open. Oh, that was January. Uh, February. February. Okay, I shot Florida Sectionals with him in December. I can't remember the difference between those matches, so it always throws me off. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like he's been shooting the you know CZ platform for a lot longer than you have too. Like, so there's that too. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. <laughs> that that can be taken into account. Um, oh, pretty sure I was like in elementary school whenever he started shooting. Uh, <laughs> I guess I'm gonna call him old later. That's perfect. Um, 
<laughs> oh my gosh. So like when, when you're focused on production, are you all in for that for like leading up to nationals? Is that all you're focused on? Will you switch over to carry optics to shoot that nationals too? Or is it just production for now? I don't think I'll switch over to shoot carry optics nationals. Uh, like for the last carry optics nationals, I switched a week or two before the nationals. Yeah. Like my practice leading into it was very minimal. You were such a 20-year-old. Correct. I so Georgia State was coming up, and I was like, I'm just going to shoot production for that. And as soon as I get done with like shooting production at Georgia State that night, I was dry firing with the carry optics gun. Like as soon as the match was over with, I was already dry firing with the carry September optics to season. October. Yeah. So like, no, yeah. Brennan. <laughs> yes, that not the smartest thing in the world, but it's what I've done anyways. And uh, yeah, it it showed pretty pretty well um one of the stages I, i'm used to seeding 10 round mags into the gun yeah yeah so i didn't see the fully loaded mag into the gun. put some more love tap yeah. into it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and it was uh oh i'm trying to think of which stage it was had two partial swingers out of the end of the bay um I've blocked everything from those matches out of my head at this point. Yeah, I wish I had. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was a pretty good size field course. First shot out of the holster magazine dropped out the bottom of the gun. I'm like, well, that's setting the tone for the rest <laughs> uh, of the stage pretty well. <laughs> I've done it. I've been there. I get it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fun times. Fun times. <laughs> and apparently you have to clean mags. Mm -hmm. I, I found that out on stage. Yeah. Uh, it's not like my Glock. You can't just run the mags through the dirt and keep going. Mm -hmm. uh, you actually have to clean the mags. It's, you're going to get used to that when you shoot 2011, too. You should probably take care of that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm slowly learning. Slowly. <laughs> Again, 20 year old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, okay. Switching gears. All right. So, shooting life. Now you're working in a gun shop, and that's fairly new. Uh, I've been working at a gun shop since late September of yeah, 2021. Yeah, it's fairly new. Okay. Oh, 2021. Yeah. So a year right. or something. No, I'm dumb. A couple months. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what year it is, guys. <laughs> it's okay. I'm I'm not going to judge you. People listening might, but. I forgot what day it was today, too. And yeah. Um. So, okay. Working at a gun shop, I, there's no words for it, right? It's just, it's, it is what it is yeah it's uh it's always interesting there's that it's it's very entertaining but it's like people watching with like dangerous you know weapons it's yeah, scary that's much. a scary thought yeah it's uh it's a very interesting thought um oh gosh it's uh you have a few of those moments where you just have to sit there and nod your head and you go uh-huh yep hmm that's cool uh yeah I, I think they need me in the back i will see you later and then you just kind of like walk off oh so are you working behind the counter is this indoor range or just a store or? It, yeah they have an indoor range uh i'm typically out on the range um uh and then whenever i'm not on the range i go out and work behind the counter because we have other people have come out and relieve us but uh you know, I don't know which one is more interesting, working behind the counter or working out on the range. Um, B, 
because out on the range, I see either the people that have been shooting all their life and know everything about guns, yep. or you get the tactical guys that come in. <laughs> that those are hilarious to see. Um, the firearms instructors oh, that come out and shoot, or they're teaching someone else how to shoot, and I'm just sitting there shaking my head the entire time. Yeah. Uh, it's a but, that like can you teach at 20 or can you do that i don't even know uh so i haven't really looked into it like becoming a certified instructor and all that um i probably should look into that because that wouldn't be bad for this area yeah but uh it's when i'm out on the range it's more of answering questions about shooting or they're doing something so unsafe for themselves or the range itself i have to step in yeah yeah so i mean ranges are different um i never like going to public ranges it's again i'm very open to feedback and coaching and teaching and all of that stuff it was just surprising to me how many people taught the wrong things said the wrong things and i'm I'm not shocked and I am shocked. So it is kind of frustrating and like unsolicited advice, you know, they don't want to hear, they don't want to hear you correct them or say anything like that, you know, and it's a fine line because you want people to be kind, I guess, you know, to have people welcome people into the the firearms industry and you don't want to set that bad tone or that bad taste in that person's mouth. You know, you don't want to be condescending. You don't want to be rude. So like, how do you navigate all of that? Like you said, you really only step in for two reasons and the rest you kind of have to let go. Yeah, it's... So whenever I'm working out on the range, I see it as you are dealing with people that have loaded firearms. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the very first thing you have to remember. So whenever you're speaking to them or making a correction, I think you have to be fairly calm. Yeah. Like if they're up here you have to come in talk kind of softly and bring them back down make them quiet down and come down to where you're at so you have to start off with that kind of like be kind whenever you're trying to offer them Mm -hmm. a correction i guess you could say um new shooters will typically ask questions so i like new shooters don't you like new shooters Oh, yes. I love new shooters because they're asking me questions and they're like a sponge most of the time. They're absorbing everything that you say. Yeah. Um, But then you have the ones that let ego get involved and they won't listen to a word. They are correct no matter what you say. Yeah. Um, Those you just kind of have to make sure they're not being unsafe Mm -hmm. and let them fail on their own and maybe they'll come back around. Right. Um, it's, it's interesting. Like the people that are asking you questions, right. When you're on the range, they, I'm not saying like we're big shots, right. But they don't know who you are or what you do. Um, and it's great that they're listening to you. I think that what's, what's difficult again, too, is that you're a unique range officer and that you are a competitive shooter. You are a great shot, you know, and they don't even know that they're learning the best, but say they go into another range. What if those same people are asking questions of somebody that doesn't know what they're talking about? So like the sponge is great, but how do shooters 
navigate, like finding the right mentor, the right coach, the right teacher, like what should they be vetting, you know, people that they learn from? Um, I think it's important that the person they're learning from can actually demonstrate, Mm -hmm. you know, a certain level of skill Mm -hmm. Uh, because we get, what we get a lot is people come in and be like, well, my uncle's in the military or I had this instructor, he's former military or former law enforcement. So since they have that title of military or law enforcement, they automatically know how to shoot. So they're going to accept everything they say. But um, I seen a comment once on, it was one of those FUD Facebook groups. I think Tyler Turner is actually in that group and he made a comment and uh, said, go take a class from a USPSA grandmaster, something along those lines. That's probably some of the best advice I've seen for (laughs) newer shooters or people trying to get into it. Yeah. Because. Yeah. I think that's the best way to verify someone's skill. Yeah. Like if they can perform on command, they don't need to warm up. It all it is is okay, here's the shooting challenge. Let's see what you've got. Mm-hmm. If they can perform in a situation like that, they can probably show you how to shoot properly, opposed yeah. to continuing to spill all these theories on shooting. Um, you know, see a lot of stuff. <laughs> Oh God, it is. Yeah, I didn't want to get too far in the weeds, but but yeah, it's always just like trying to catch twenty-two. It's it's very difficult. You want people on firearms, and you don't. I don't want to mandate you know classes or what they have to do. I just would hope that they would all go get educated, whether they know a lot, they don't know a lot. Uh, I think anything formal education is helpful, but it is important that we've got the right people doing the right information. Yes, yeah. I completely agree, and that's. That's what the issue is. Whenever I see shooters come into the range, it's they have the wrong information. They might have the right ideas, but they're using techniques that just either don't work for them mm-hmm. or they're just old techniques that don't really work. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, it, I can see where it'd be very confusing for shooters. Mm-hmm. because there's a whole lot of information out there and it's just like what we were talking about earlier with shooting whether it's the mental game or shooting technique not all of it's going to work for you mm-hmm. i mean um not a very large statured guy so my technique for controlling recoil is going to be a bit different than someone that's got 50 or 60 pounds on me yeah um and what works for them probably isn't going to work for me yeah yeah now the other thing too um hmm, i'm sure you see it a lot again we want to support local gun stores so i'm not not saying anything against that or or just we want people owning firearms but i i have a struggle point when i've gone into a gun shop before and i've been talking to my friend who is with me and being overheard about what i was looking to buy and already I'm being told what to buy by somebody who overheard the conversation. 
but they didn't realize I was asking specific questions because I didn't know which one I wanted to buy for a class for teaching like revolver with, you know, external hammer, or if I wanted this gun because of the grip for the, the females that I teach at least. And so I just got this unsolicited advice that he didn't have any clue why we were talking about it or what the purpose was. So he immediately said, well, my old lady, you know, uses this. And I'm like, okay, again, that's awesome. But just because your old lady uses that, that was his phrase, um, doesn't mean I'm going to, right? So like the advice that people give can be very painful when it comes to guns. I think the only person that can make that decision is themselves. So like, how do you navigate that when someone comes in and asks like what gun to buy? Uh, if they're asking what gun to buy, uh, first thing I'm asking is what's the intended use? Mm -hmm. Because that that's your starting point is yeah. figure out what's your intended use. And then it's like, do you want a subcompact, compact, full size, or, or are you looking for a pocket pistol? I mean, mm -hmm. people are always Huge looking for different, different things. Purposes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from there, I'll show them, you know, what gun kind of like fits their needs. Mm -hmm. And it's not always a gun that uh, I might recommend because sure. sometimes their budget may not yeah. uh, allow for them to go buy shadow systems or even a Glock or a SIG. Yeah sometimes they're looking more towards a Taurus, like a G2C. Yeah. Um, so yeah, figure out what their budget is, figure out what they're looking for as far as to carry. If they'll be shooting it a lot because you don't want to find someone a gun when they're going to be shooting a lot and say, oh, well, here's a 357 Magnum. You know, <laughs> shooting 38 Special and 357 through that is not going to be very cost effective. Yeah. Um, but if they get a nine millimeter, yeah, they can shoot as much as they want. Um, it's, are you going to be training with this gun, or are you want something that's going to last and survive you training with this gun? Right. Right. The other stuff. Um, going into a store is helpful because you can go grip different guns. I think that's a big, big, you know, help when you don't know if you've never handled them. You know, and, and then. I'm not a fan of indoor ranges, but they typically have like the rental systems. Well, not all outdoor ones don't have that. I'm just saying they're more commonly found, I think, at indoor ranges where you can go and rent a bunch of firearms. You can go handle them, touch them, shoot a 380, shoot a nine mil. Um, because recoil, we've already talked about that a little bit, is so different in different people's hands. So yeah, <laughs> there's that as well. Yeah, and of course the recoil impulse depends on the gun mm -hmm. um how well your hand fits on the gun um figuring that part out for a shooter is that part can be tricky because yeah, you don't know until you shoot it yep 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 um like oh go ahead oh we'll have uh people come in that are talking about how violent their nine millimeter is and I'm like, okay, what are you shooting it through? And it'll be like the Ruger LC9, I think it is. This big, yeah. Yeah, it's tiny barrel. Little, little nine millimeter. And it's not so much that it's really, really small. It's just that it's hard to hold on to because, you know, grip's kind of thin, but it's long and it's just kind of uncomfortable on the hand. 
well, you give them SIG P365 or the uh, Glock 43X or even just the 43, mm-hmm. that those guns handle the recoil a little bit differently and you can get a better grip on them. Um, but some people associate recoil just with the caliber of the gun. It's, yep. Yep. Like a 2011 is going to handle 40 cal a lot different than That's exactly what I was about to say. Is. The exact yeah. what I was about to say. It's like anything in a 2011 will shoot like a 22. No. <laughs> yeah. Like have a 2011 and nine millimeter. Yeah. It's a cheater. Yeah. It's dumb. It is dumb. That's uh, awesome. Um, so for you, like your legal age, I'm guessing for carrying up in Kentucky is 21. For concealed carry, it's 21. For open carry, it's 18. That's wild. It, yeah, it's that's wild. Yeah, it's there's a lot of gray area there because <laughs> it also depends on who you ask. I had a uh, buddy that went around and started asking police officers. Oh yeah, that that was an interesting study done there. What the uh, legal carry age was? A couple of them would say 21. Uh, to even open carry so they need to be 21 uh, someone told them that just need to be 18 uh, if you are to google it it doesn't give you a definite answer either um, it just says 18 to possess a handgun right but 21 to buy a handgun or handgun ammunition <laughs> see me gifted okay. one essentially at 18 but not buy your own at 20 yeah until 21 okay um do you have to take a class or how does that work uh so there's no class they have constitutional carry so you don't need a concealed carry permit um you don't need a permit to buy a handgun um but outside of kentucky you would you would need a kentucky permit to have reciprocity yeah you'd need a concealed carry permit and that's i think that is the downfall of having constitutional carry is because a lot of people that come in don't see a reason to have a concealed carry license. That's what killed my classes, which I'm fine with. Like, I mean, that's their prerogative, but the education is not there and the lack of awareness is not there. And then I think too, like, again, I'm all for like constitutional carry. It'd be great if every state had that cool, but it goes back to, I wish every gun owner that was going to carry a gun would go take a class and actually learn their rules. Cause like you said, you've asked police officers, you've Googled, you don't know. Um, but even in states, there are rules of where you can carry what, where you can't carry, what the rules are in, in vehicles and state line travel is a huge thing, even with reciprocity. So that's a frustrating piece, especially like, I don't know where you live specifically, but I border like four states right now. So I'm always, people are always crossing borders here. Yeah. So I wish that I'm not going to say I wish that they didn't go ahead with constitutional carry and stuff like that, but I wish that there was more awareness. Hey, this is why you need a concealed carry license. Um, And the standards on (laughs) oh god, getting your concealed carry license here is 
low. Fairly poor, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. like Tennessee has the strictest I've ever had in terms of the curriculum in the class because I have to read every single word the state provides, which is insane. Um, every single word, and then Florida, it's it's so vague as like their um, statute just says like you have to live fire in front of a certain instructor that's been certified or law enforcement or whatever. So like, oh, if you shoot around to a water bucket or to a wall, one round in front of an instructor, like they can approve you. And that's what they're doing in the masses. And that's destroying the whole purpose of that statute because there's, I don't want to say loophole. Again, this is the harder talk of, of political nature of wanting people to be smart and safe, not wanting limitations on our, our rights and not having to pay for, for our rights too. It's just, but then you want them to be educated. Yeah. Ugh. That's, yeah. that's the painful part. Um, and oh god I, that is the frustrating part of firearm ownership here so you have the people that own guns but never shoot guns mm-hmm. but they carry mm-hmm. um, or they carry a gun and never even draw their gun from that holster yeah um yeah. Yeah. it's they're just not educated with firearms for the most part and that's i see that as an issue yeah i think um, all of us as shooters just could do better in education for people if they want it or yeah. not you know it's not forceful it's just more of our community could do a lot better job on getting educated who to get educated from um, you know, what that looks like in terms of training, because they do need that own time with their gun, like you said, drawing from the holster, learning how to shoot their own firearm. Yeah, it's a lot more than that that could be done. But yeah, it's, and it's sad that there's not more, that the information is not, not readily available to all or, them. Or advertised like, or want to be seen because media. Yeah, and yeah. It, it's sad yeah but it's one of those there's not a whole lot you can do but you can attempt yeah like that's yeah. uh it's the best way to put it yeah that is the best way to put it i think you, you can attempt to educate people but not everyone's going to listen mm-hmm. yeah um of course the thing i try to do is get people involved into sport shooting mm-hmm. because if you get them involved into USPSA or anything, whether it's shooting two gun matches occasionally, yeah, still challenge or even outlaw matches. Mm -hmm. If you get them interested in it, they're going to be training with a firearm, whether they, you know, plan on it or not, because it just seems fun. Yeah. And they're going to learn to be safe really quickly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're either safe or you go home. Yeah. And, that's i think that's the best way i've seen to actually get people to go out and train or get educated with firearms um have you shot a match yet real quick from appendix carry i have not but i do intend on it yeah i really want to shoot um a match with my appendix carry setup i have a full-size gun that i use typically more in the winter but uh, it was kind of neat. March 15th, IDPA finally made their rule change to allow appendix um, carry or, you know, drawing from an appendix, which is great because people in competitive shooting can now shoot IDPA that way. And USBSA had already added that rule, which I think is awesome. 
Um, so yeah, tell me more about what you think about people actually being able to go shoot their carry gear in competition. I think it actually gives them an opportunity to see how well they perform with their carry gear instead of what's just set in their mind or, you know, them going out to the range and doing set drills repetitively. Uh, I think everyone's guilty of going out and just shooting the same draw one shot or maybe throwing a reload at seven yards opposed to shooting a stage with their carrier equipment and see how well it performs, um, see what the issues might be, what the limitations are. Yeah. And then you've got sidecar set up for magazine pouches or a separate magazine pouch for reloads. And like that will come into play. Yeah. Because you're going to need it. Yeah. Uh, that's the test of gear too. Competitions is where everything breaks. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, sometimes it's in the warm-up days that things break. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I could have got any luckier than breaking a uh, – trigger reset spring on a warm-up bay i don't i don't think you get luckier than that <laughs> do you have two guns now uh so i pretty much just have the stockmaster, and i am borrowing a stock two okay. from rick uh so if the stockmaster goes down like it did at area five uh then i go to the stock two and finish out the match it's pretty cool show me your setup there grips sights gun uh so i use the uh for my front side i use the dawson i had to go with i started out with the uh 180 height front side on this thing because that's what works on the stock too i didn't take the sight radius into account mm. so i had uh maxed out the elevation on the rear sight and didn't find that out until stage four of area five. <laughs> yeah, that was great. I looked down at it. I'm like, you know what? That's not in the right spot. And I stick my fingernail in it and start moving it with my fingernail oh, while it's an holster. Yeah. 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 So I had to go to the 160. Uh, I started using the uh, brass scales mm -hmm. from uh, Speechers International. Uh, for my little hands, that seems to work the best. The uh, palm swells from Locke was just too big for yeah. my little girl hands, basically. <laughs> I yeah, I got, <laughs> yeah, I got them uh, nice little girl hands. Yeah. <laughs> if I dry fire too much, I start getting, you know, abrasions and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what all did you do with the internals of that gun? basically polished everything that's moving to a mirror finish mm -hmm. and uh, I changed the um, oh, trigger reset spring, the sear spring, hammer spring. Um, I went with Patriot Defense for all those parts. I got a reduced power trigger guide bar spring i think that's the correct terminology for that part <laughs> um that helps with trigger pull quite a bit yeah um and then 
I go with the uh, extreme one piece sear for the Tanfolio. I like the extreme trigger shoe. It's just a little bit flatter than the curved one. Yeah. And the uh, new Patriot Defense Hammer is that. That's where it's at. That is. That's awesome. It is great. Did you do all this yourself? Uh, yeah, I, I work on my guns myself. Wow. Who taught you that? Yeah, I, uh, YouTube. <laughs> the University of YouTube. I like it. <laughs> yes, uh, that's pretty much it. Um, of course, Rick talked me through a bit of it because he's worked on these mm-hmm. a lot more than I have. Uh, but for the most part, it's just watching YouTube videos until you hopefully figure it out. Um, Very yeah, that makes for long nights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so, like, all those upgrades, too, they really are custom to you, like you said, and, like, your grip, your trigger pull, all of that. Um, I, How do you make that first double action pull count? Uh. So, I have a tendency to find the closest target in an array that's not stupid. Yep. And just blow it straight right out of the way. Yeah. It, you can't always do that, though, of no. course. So, what I had to do to figure out that, hey, it's not really that bad. You're just being a pansy about it. Uh, I set a headshot target up at 25 yards mm-hmm. and then walked back out with like a zebra at 15, open target at 7. And I'd start from the back, draw, shoot the double action, pull on the headshot target, and come back forward with it. Okay. And once I realized that, you know, as long as you're pulling the trigger without disturbing the sights, it's going to be there. Okay. Um, Once I figured that out, that's huge confidence boost. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And figuring out that the Tanfolio actually puts bullets exactly where I'm putting the sights at. Whereas whenever I was shooting the Glock, even though it was more than likely the guy operating it, um, they would go in a radius uh-huh. of where I was putting the sights at. Yeah. Um, my first major match with the Tanfolio that kind of showed because I went through a target array and it was like pull a uh, string to open a port, mm-hmm. open target right in front of you, two steel uh, poppers, and then a swinger. I pull it down, you go pop, pop, pink, pink, pop, pop. And I could not believe that I'd just done that. I could not believe it. <laughs> so I just stand there looking at it, just staring at the swinger swinging by with two holes in it. I'm like, did I really just, just do that? Oh, the timer's still going. And timer. I finish up the stage. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, that's cool. And uh, I think uh, it was Niels that made the comment. Uh, it's interesting whenever bullets actually go where you want them to and where you're aiming. So, uh, you'll really like it when you get used to it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, of course, it really showed at Area 5 when they had the two poppers at, what was it, 45 yards? That on, was really... I shot a rifle. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah I, I was shooting that with my backup gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you had fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I went one for one on the steel. That's where I was like, oh, this there might be an advantage to this. There's something to it. Awesome. Yeah, I like the yeah. I like those guns. I um Brian with Hunters last weekend, two weekends ago. I don't know what date is. Um, has a CZ Shadow Two that he's had worked over. 
that double action pool does not feel like a double action pool. So like I actually got to go um, shoot a steel challenge state that they just had set up there at the gathering. And I was afraid of the double action pool for sure. And I just dry fired it. I'm like, no way. And I hit every single time that first target. And it was kind of surprising, which is what you want trigger pool to do. And now I hate that I touched that gun. Cause that means another gun. <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. Uh, so we're, we're great guns. Um, yeah. I, I think for shooting production or carry optics, you can't go wrong with, you know, the shadow two or a tan folio of some sort. Yeah. Um, of course I still like striker fire guns. That's just oh, yeah. the inner Glock fanboy in me. I mean, I, whenever I was switching, I had a, several guns that I was thinking about. Uh, and I was comparing them on my drills to see what I shot best. And I mean, I was looking at the X5 Legion due yeah. to my brother, who's a SIG fanboy. Yeah. Um, mechanic, the TP9 SFX. It's so nice um, to have, too. Yes. Uh, the Shadow 2 and the Tanfolio. And I was leaning towards the SIG for a bit just because it shot softer and I could pick it up and shoot it fairly easily ergonomic i could mag change really well with it <laughs> but it was still on the whenever i compared it to shooting the tan folio mm -hmm. it just seemed like the tan folio was so much more accurate yeah it is but uh it, it's hard to ignore that it's really hard to ignore the accuracy difference um which wow. i'm never going out shoot a gun that, that's probably not going to happen <laughs> but it's easier to shoot certain guns yeah oh it is it is um yeah once you get to that level i mean it, it actually surprised me how much you can shoot some of those i'll just say plastic guns better even after you move up it just makes it less intimidating i guess you don't think about it as much i don't know if that makes yeah. sense but that's how i found it to be i'm like oh okay yeah that's of course i stuck with the glock until middle oh, yeah. of last year i think yeah. yeah i shot a glock for a while um uh, now i'm not enough of a stud to just keep shooting the glock uh, i mean you got like shane and tyler turner that are still crushing it with Glock, uh, J. Beal and carry optics, like oh. insane. And Morgan uh, kicking everybody's butt. Yes. Glock. Yes. Yes. I almost forgot. Yeah. That, I only forget. She's impressive. <laughs> yeah, she is. <laughs> she is. Yeah, that is impressive. Um, But you got them. I mean, they're killing it with Glock. I just find Tanfolio easier to shoot. It's more fun. Um, it's more fun. Yes, it's for me. It's since this whole ammo shortage, it's getting hard to find primers. You know, live fire has became non-existent almost yeah. in my practice sessions. It's I have to work a bit harder in live fire to shoot my Glock well. Yeah. Yeah, but whenever you've got a metal frame gun that has a I don't know one and a half pound single action trigger 
trigger in it. Game on. It's yeah, it's it's not too hard to shoot, and it just takes a little bit to get used to. Okay, that's what the gun feels like during recoil. That's how much it lifts. Now let's just go shoot a match. Uh, I mean, I still have to remind myself to grip the gun because I get very lazy due mm-hmm. to how soft the gun shoots. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't require as much work to shoot it well compared to whenever I was shooting the Glock. Love it. I mean, I, I didn't feel confident uh, going into a match unless I'd shot, you know, 800 or 1,000 rounds in practice that week right before the match. Like, it would have to be something stupid. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I feel like I can shoot well now. Hmm. Yeah. Now you don't have to. It's, it's intense. Yeah. Of course, <laughs> now I can't as well. That's true. That's true. There's that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's way too expensive to have that sort of practice session going into a match. Sad to think about. That's sad. It, it's very sad. Ugh. Well, Brennan, is there anything else that you want to leave listeners with or that we haven't covered? Um, I don't believe so. Okay, perfect. Um, how can people find you on social media if they want to follow you? Uh, so on Instagram, it's just brennan.decker.shooting. That's literally all it is. I, I, I'm not creative enough to have a uh, fancy username. <laughs> Yeah, Facebook is just Brennan Decker. That's literally it. Um, if you ever start to do classes, or you know, if someone comes to the indoor range that you're working at, and would you be willing to help them? Oh yeah, yeah. It's if I can pass on what I've learned over the last five years of shooting, if I can pass it on to someone else and maybe save them some trouble or save them some money. Yeah, I'll gladly do it. Uh, of course, the issue with that is just making sure someone's willing to listen. Yeah. Uh, that's well, one disadvantage of being a 20-year-old working at a gun store. Yeah, people don't take it very seriously until you shoot in front of them. Yeah. Um, check your ego, for sure. Uh, like I said, like I mean, think about Morgan. I go back to that. Like I'm probably going to try to go over there and train with them her and her dad because they know a lot more than I do obviously and a lot better shooters um so I think we need to start ridding ourselves of these stereotypes of age matters I think in everything honestly um but what uh what range do you work at a sportsman driving gun in Elizabethtown Kentucky yeah I love it cool well Brandon thanks for coming on the podcast I'm excited to see what both you and your brother do this year. And I enjoy seeing both of you guys on the range and I'm stoked we're shooting together in September. (laughs) Yes. Oh yes. It'll be a great match. Finally. So I'll be just staring at you guys watching your footwork and your stage plans. So prepare. (laughs) Uh, I would recommend watching Trace's footwork and a little bit less online. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I still haven't figured out exactly how to use my legs. Sometimes I look like I just started walking yesterday. Yeah. That's awesome. Cool. All right, listeners. Thanks for tuning in um, and hopefully see you guys on a range this year. Thanks for listening to the Reticle Up podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Follow along on social media at Reticle Up or 3 Gun Kenzie.